Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Susie Ahn, and this is Reset. Most NPR listeners recognize our next guest from what's become a holiday tradition, the re-airing of his 1992 account of spending two Christmas seasons working as an elf at Macy's in New York. 22,000 people came to see Santa today, and not all of them were well-behaved. Today I witnessed fistfights and vomiting and magnificent tantrums. Since the wildly popular Santa Land Diaries, Sedaris has penned numerous books, become a regular contributor to The New Yorker, and was inducted into the American Academy of Arts and Letters. At the start of the pandemic, he was about to embark on a 45-city tour for his two latest books, The Best of Me, a collection of previously published stories and essays, and A Carnival of Snackery, his personal diaries from 2003 to 2020. That cross-country book tour is now underway. I started on September 11th, and I've had maybe like, I don't know, maybe I've had like four days off since then. But no, I'm so glad to be on tour again. I'm not in the least bit tired. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm delighted. And a lot of your writing has a, a travelogue quality. Um, you're observing cultural differences and quirks. How has the pandemic contextualized traveling for you? Uh, well, I traveled quite a bit during the worst of the pandemic because mm-hmm. my dad was in North Carolina. Yeah. And so I went there to, well, we have a beach house down there. So I went to go to the beach. I mean, that's why I went to North Carolina and I would wave at my father on the way there. Um, and then uh, we went to England several times during it. And so the travel part didn't concern me any. Uh, what's interesting about it is when, whenever you, you're on tour, it's up and down. One night you're in a, you know, in a big city, and they've got a great hotel, and you're staying there. And the next night you're in, uh, gee, Springfield, Missouri, you know, <laughs> for a town without a, you know, it's not a big town, so they don't have a nice hotel. Or you're in York, Pennsylvania, you know, a place like that. So it's always up and down, but. What makes it uppier and downier uh, is the the uh, rules that not just from state to state, but from city to city. Yeah. Like in California, in Los Angeles, you know, you had to wear a mask in the common areas of the hotel, and then you had to wear show your vaccine proof to get into the restaurant. And then a couple hours east in Palm Springs, uh, nobody wore a mask, and you didn't have to show any vaccination proof to go to the restaurant you know and that's just a couple hours away from los angeles so those were just city ordinances that were different so you just and now i'm in montana and i you know i wore a mask into the hotel last night and it's like i'd worn a hillary clinton t-shirt to a Klan rally i mean (laughs) it's all looks the looks that i got uh but i you know you don't know what to expect yeah. going from one state to the next. And it's easy to keep a mask in your pocket and put it on if you need to. So it's not hard. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting to me to go from place to place. Yeah, a bit of whiplash, travel whiplash during the pandemic here. Um, well, from your diary entries in, in this latest book, it seems you're a magnet for the weird and wacky. Um, people at your book sightings seem quite comfortable sharing their stories about life's absurdities. Um, can you tell us a little bit of, of what folks have told you? I always try to talk to people, you know, when I'm signing books, I remember going to book signings and, you know, having an author not look up when Mm -hmm. I was there and just 
I remember what that felt like, just have your book signed and then you sort of pushed away from the table. You know, like, well, I asked somebody, like, when was the last time you cried? You know, that's mm. a tricky question because sometimes someone will say, you know, I cried last week and my son died, you know, and then oh, you're thinking, yeah. damn it, why did I ask that? <laughs> but I asked this woman, when did you last cry? And she said, just a couple of days ago, she said, my father has dementia. And I went with him to a playground and there was this little girl at the top of the slide and she wouldn't go down. And there were all these other children behind her anxious to go down and she wouldn't move. So then eventually she went down. She said, and my father said, it's about time that little bitch got out of the way. <laughs> because her father had called a five-year-old girl a bitch. Mm-hmm. I, I, thought, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, that was certainly not the cry story I was expecting. But, okay. <laughs> well, I feel like sometimes people will say, oh, I know you like weird stories, so here's one for you. And, it, <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's very rarely good. <laughs> so, but it's better if I just ask a question and you know, just have a little conversation and yeah you know when i check into a hotel and they say how are you traveling or how's your morning going so far <laughs> like that's a nothing question that's right nothing you know but like do you have any friends in wheelchairs that's a good question <laughs> you know yeah i mean that's definitely a question you do not hear most days so that's no. that's good and then the follow-up is well do you have a ramp in front of your house yeah because if you don't have a ramp how do you expect to, to, them to come and visit? So, anyway, it's just a good ice. There are a million great questions out there. Oh, so for it's sure. just a question. It, for me, anyway, it's, you don't want to just sit there and repeat yourself all night. So I just try to get a feeling mm-hmm. for who's in front of me and ask a question. And hopefully we have a little rewarding conversation. Yeah. Well, much of your writing is observations about complete strangers like the People at book signings, cab drivers, strangers you meet at the airport, you seem to thrive on human interaction. What did the isolation of the pandemic do to you? I mean, Hugh and I got an apartment in New York just before the pandemic. So that's where we spent most of it. Mm-hmm. And I'd left New York in 1998. But it used to be in New York that one out of every 200 was crazy. And now uh, one out of every two was, <laughs> you know, during the worst of it. Yeah. Everybody left, in my neighborhood anyway. You know, on the Upper East Side, I think most people had another home and they went there. So it was pretty empty. And the people who were left behind just couldn't afford to leave town. Mm -hmm. So it was odd and sort of eerie not to... And also it was difficult at first to talk to people through a mask. I mean, I understand that now because I'm signing books. And I'm behind a sheet of plexiglass signing books, and people come up to me, and they talk to me, and I can't hear a word they're saying. So I say, oh, can you come over to the side of the plexiglass, and I can hear you that way. But if you were, like, buying something at Walgreens, and there's that up, and you just want to just ask a cashier one of the stupid questions I tend Mm -hmm. to ask people, it just seemed more of a pain. (laughs) Yeah, so I just went without, and I really definitely noticed the – it – the lack of interaction because sometimes i mean i work at home and i write Mm -hmm. and i have to be by myself in order to do it so sometimes those are the only encounters that i have are with clerks and cashiers you know was there any change forced upon you during the pandemic that you think you're going to try and hold on to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh 
No. I mean, I'm pretty happy to let all of that go, you yeah. know, like being in the elevator by myself or, uh, you know, standing far apart from somebody in front of me. I mean, there was something during the pandemic I thought, wearing a mask, I thought, well, I hate this, but there's something about it I don't mind. And I realized it freed me from the judgment I often feel, you know, because, you know, I had massive gaps between my top teeth and I was always so self-conscious. So I got braces during the pandemic. And the mask, and I'm sure, helped that. <laughs> yeah. That's probably, this and, is probably the best time to get braces. Yeah, it was a perfect time to do it. But I was at a hotel the other day, mm-hmm. a very fancy hotel, and the entire fifth floor of the hotel is for people recovering from cosmetic surgery. And that was so interesting to me because... Uh, I bet if you've just had your lips done, it really hurts to wear a mask, don't you think? Hell yeah. <laughs> you've just had your lips pumped with collagen, it must really hurt to, or if you've just had your nose done, to wear wearing a mask, I bet that would be um, yeah. irritating to you. Oh, yeah. I was dying Definitely. to get onto that fifth floor, dying <laughs> to see who was up there. <laughs> That'll be for another time, I guess. Um, well, you know, we mentioned uh, Santa Land Diaries in, in uh, the introduction um, that first aired on This American Life and Ira Glass first heard you when you were living and performing in Chicago. Um, you know, we're in Chicago. Tell us about your years in the city. Oh, I moved there to go to school. I moved there to go to the Art Institute. And, you know, I've been thinking about that recently because I just assumed my father would pay for me to go to college. I mean, he paid for everybody else to go to college. And the night before I left, he said, I'm not paying for you. Oh, no. And I had my ticket to Chicago and everything. And it was 1984, January of 1984. So I went to Chicago and I went to the Art Institute and I basically I just threw them myself on their mercy. And they said, well, don't panic. And I got grants and I got loans and I was able to go to school. And I came out of it only owing $10,000. Which, you know, $10,000 was a lot more in 1987 than it is now. But, you know, I meet kids all the time who owe $100,000 for their education. Yeah. You know, how can you start a life when you're burdened with that sort of debt? You can't even conceive of that amount of money when you're a young person. But the Art Institute, I have to say, they really, uh, I've never forgotten that, how easy they made it for Mm -hmm. me. And so I lived in Chicago for six years, and it was where I really got a start in terms of reading out loud. You know, there were a lot of places where you could go, and there was I never did an open mic thing, but, you know, there were, like, lower lengths um, in Wrigleyville, mm-hmm. and there would be, you know, four or five people on the bill and go and read out loud and pay attention and notice what other people did and either... You know, try to be more like them or less like them. Uh, it was a great place to get a start. Yeah. I was never able mm-hmm. to ask anybody for anything, you know. So, and I had a book that I wanted published, so I wanted someone to ask if they could publish it. So I thought, well, I better move to New York because that's where those people who ask that question live. Yeah. So that's why I left. Um, well, you're able to identify the humorous in, in the most painful of situations. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, you and your partner, Hugh, bought a condo in, in New York City's Upper East Side a year before the pandemic. Um, and you had an, a bird's eye view of the protests of 2020. And your diary entry from June 2nd says, quote, 
I wish I could say I was afraid for my safety or for the safety of those who were peacefully protesting. Instead, I was thinking of my beloved shops. What will happen if there's nothing left for me to buy? Last week, we talked about cancel culture. Do you ever worry that one day you'll say or write something that gets you in trouble? Oh, you know, I mean, one time a Twitter mob came after me because uh, I do a comments on CBS Sunday morning. And I did one about, uh, like, egregious customer service from 10 years ago, right? Things that happened 10 Mm -hmm. years ago. And so this Twitter mob came, and they said I was trying to fire essential workers during the pandemic. You know what I mean? Which was absolutely not even close to the truth, right? And, I mean, I think that was a lot of people's first thoughts. Mm -hmm. And... I had met this guy at a book signing a couple of years ago, and I said, what do you do for a living? And he said, well, I'm mentally ill, and that keeps me pretty busy. Right? So she objected to that. She said, my son had schizoaffective disorder, and he committed suicide, and you're in there making a whole auditorium full of people laugh at mental illness. But the thing is, when I quote this guy, and his name is Robert, and he knows that I put it in my book, and he knows that I read it on stage, I asked him if I could. Um, when he says, I'm mentally ill, that doesn't get a laugh. The laugh comes with, and that keeps me pretty busy. Yeah. And the laughs are from all the people in the audience who have issues and understand how busy it keeps you. Mm-hmm. It, it, so, it resonates with the, the audience. So she was just wrong about that. Right. But I mean, I'm up on stage. I, I'm there. I'm in the building. I'm a professional. I know why people are laughing. Right. And she was completely wrong about it. But now that's her. So I get a lot of that. I mm-hmm. get a lot of mail from people who it's like they've got their one issue. So they want me to cut that out of my show. Right. The other ones are fine. You know, yeah. it's just their issue. They need to have it cut off. Yeah. That's I mean, maybe that's their one thing, you know, and I and I never quite understood it. But now I have a thing, too, that I really I have an issue finally. And it's something that I really I want to get it implemented. I want to it's a change that I want to see happen. I want um, there to be one day a year when you can take people who have dementia and Alzheimer's to the lip of the Grand Canyon and we can turn all the lights out. And no one's going to push anybody. But if they could fall to their death, that's what happened. It just happened, right? And we're going to call it Canyon Day. I, I kind of came up with it during a Q&A mm-hmm. last week. Somebody's asked me, they said, are you afraid that you're going to get dementia or Alzheimer's and forget how to write? And I said, no. But the, the sad thing about those conditions is that, you know, you can live with them yeah. for decades. You know, yeah. it's a shell of yourself. All right. Well, that's so Canyon Day. Canyon Day is my thing. Well, uh, David Sedaris, we're going to have to leave it right there, but we are all looking forward to your upcoming shows in and around the Chicago area. That's humorist and author David Sedaris. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today's Reset, and you can hear more great stories and interviews by subscribing to this podcast. And while you're at it, give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Susie Ann. Thanks for listening, and please come back tomorrow.
Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.